Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Tamara Jinjik. I'm um, the CEO of an organization called Fashion Roundtable, which launched two years ago, which brings together fashion and politics. And I have Tansy Hoskins, who's the author of Stitched Up, the anti-capitalist book of fashion, and was telling me about her book that comes out, I think it's in March, um, around the shoe industry. Asad Raymond, who is the executive director of War on Want, and Tolly Gregory, who is at Ethical and Sustainable Fashion blogger. Um, so as it's um, time is of the essence, we're going to... <coughs> sorry, I've had pneumonia, so bear with me. I'm recovering, but I have got a bit of a tickly throat today. Um, we're going to cover three key questions about fashion and ethics. But just to put this into context, it's it's a, a, it's an industry that ha I, I don't think it gets a lot of press, I don't, uh, other than in the fashion industry. I don't think it gets a lot of political will or um, news um, other than around Fashion Week, but it employs almost one million people. It makes 32 billion for the UK economy. Where we are now makes more as a, as a, just as a borough than the whole of the fishing industry for the UK economy. And once you know that, just have a think about how often fishing's talked about in the conversations around Brexit and what that implication means for you and your voting rights. Um, especially as I know the whole context of this event was around being aware about your registration, which if you live in the UK ends on the 26th. It's already gone if you live in Northern Ireland. Um, so the first question which I'm going to ask our panellists are what are the ethical challenges within the industry? Um, Tansy, I, I'd like to start with you or do you want me to go to Assad first? So Assad, who's just dashed here from, a, from Manchester, managed to leave his wallet on a train, but is, going, is really well informed and going to open the conversation. Shows you how well organised Yeah, very well organised. <laughs> and also how I feel fashionably underdressed there with, with this panel. Um, just on the, on the question, I think, about the, this industry as a whole, I'd say there's about, I mean, there are so many different dimensions to it. But one, of course, is about this rate of unsustainable consumption and the use of resources. So when we think about, for example, that a sustainable use globally of all resources is about 50 billion tonnes. We use about 87 billion tonnes at the moment. By 2030, it's estimated to double. And as the UK, we're one of the fifth highest consumers of resources all around the world. And when you break that down, for example, when you think about like say the use of water, uh, where about you need about 2,700 litres of water to make one T-shirt, right? Which is what about the equivalent of what a human being will drink in three years, right? And in India this summer, and the fifth biggest city ran out of water, and it's predicted that close to 40% of the Indian subcontinent will be without access to fresh water by 2030. Then you start to see what the real scale of our consumption of our resources are going to be. Uh, when we talk about, for example, corporate power, the fact that these corporations, these multinationals, have huge supply chains that they are not accountable for, and therefore they, they have super exploitative supply chains, not just about the garment workers making the garments, but also the farmers growing the cotton, the people doing the dyeing, every single stage, and they basically don't take responsibility for them. The third element is, of course, is about the workers' exploitation, and we can talk a little bit more about that. Bangladeshi workers, for example, about 85% of, of them in the garment industry are women, and some are being paid as less as 
11 pence or 19 pence an hour. And that even if a T-shirt's not on the cheap fashion, but T-shirts are on our house streets being sold for 50 pounds. And that's because we've created a, a, a supply chain which is basically driving uh, profits. Um, it's been the primary interest is, is extracting as much profit as possible. And that puts pressure on suppliers basically to be able to turn around products fast as possible. And that means that they start to source them out um, and and then, of course, there's the climate imperative, right? If, you, if we're really serious about keeping temperatures well below the 1.5 degree guardrail, all of this talk about 2050, 2045, the reality of what the IPCC says is that we have got about five years uh, of carbon pollution that we can put into the atmosphere, knowing what the impacts are going to be in terms of on food, on displacement to people, on water, all of those things. So as an industry... It's the second most polluting industry outside of fossil fuels. So it has huge impact. And of course, it's one that we all constantly engage in because we all wear clothes, which makes garments a really important way to talk about what's actually wrong, not just in the garment industry, but actually wrong with our economy as a whole and the corporate power. So what would you see as solutions for that before we go over to Tansy? We've talked about some challenges, but what would be some solutions that other than what we'll come on to later, which can be a um, consumer choice, but what would be a solution would be, I'm assuming you're going to say unionisation for workers, um, an improvement on pricing. Oh, was, that, was that to me? Or well, I, I just wanted oh, to, because okay. he's gone in on some key challenges, but he hasn't picked up on, I just want you to... Sure, I mean, there's plenty of answers, right? I mean, one of them, I think we all have to express solidarity, right? And expressing solidarity with garment workers is really important. This year, early in the year, thousands of garment workers went out on strike in Bangladesh, calling for a minimum wage, increasing a minimum wage. They were met with violent repression. The garment workers' neighbourhoods were... were, t were, were, were Police went in, shot tear gas and rubber bullets. Thousands of people who were who were part took part in the strike were sacked. People who were in the union organisers. These are all in factories where our major brands are producing clothes. So we have to put our, put responsibility on our brands to take responsibility for their whole supply chain. That means moving us from ethical consumption to what political consumption, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But it also means actually putting things like director's duty. You know, if a director in a company. His only primary duty is make profit for the shareholders. They have no responsibility about looking at the environmental, social or labour standards. We need to change that. We need to talk about binding regulations on corporations. Ultimately, it is about government regulation. It is about doing our bit, but actually using our power to change the system. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, one thing I'd like to add to that is that um, today... 24th of November is actually the anniversary of one of the darkest days in the fashion industry. And in 2012, there was a factory uh, called the Tazreen factory that was in uh, Bangladesh. And a fire started on the ground floor of that factory. And it quickly spread through the building. And there were no fire escapes. And there were bars on the window uh, of this building. And so... On this day in 2012, uh, approximately 118 garment workers uh, burned to death. And so, you know, when Assad uh, and Tolly and I and Tamara talk about unionization and workers' rights, we are talking about a matter of life and death for the people uh, that, make, that make our clothes. Um, okay, on to the next question, because we haven't got very long and I'm really worried about time. And um, we're covering big 
big subjects. And I'm sure any of our speakers, we can, if you want to meet up or want to get information from after, we can share that out. Um, the main, what, what are the main political parties promising in light of the election, which happens this month? Um, and how do you think that could affect voter, voter choice? Oh, I think I, that I'm doing that. I, okay, so I've got a whistle-stop tour. I've got tour. you all on it. <laughs> yes, I've got, so I've got a whistle-stop tour of how uh, the party's manifestos are going to affect garment workers. Um, I am not going to do the Tory party manifesto simply because we have had a decade of tour, Tory policy towards the fashion industry, and we know exactly what it will look like. Uh, for example, the Tories, David Cameron, appointed Philip Green the CEO of Arcadia as a special advisor, which basically tells you everything you need to know about the Tory parties and fashion. Um, <laughs> Labour. Uh, Labour, I was very impressed by Labour promising to support trade unions internationally to promote collective bargaining for better pay and conditions and to include binding social chapters in trade agreements to safeguard workers' rights. Um, they also want to support UN efforts to introduce binding treaties on business and human rights and, crucially, to make multinational corporations legally responsible for their supply chains, including criminal liability. Criminal liability for the worst cases. So when, when somewhere like Tazreen burns down, when Rana Plaza collapses, and when it's Walmart and Disney and CNA and Primark uh, and uh, you know, all these big brands uh, there, then we could actually, you know, actually hold some people to account. So I was impressed. The Green Party, obviously they are impressive on the environment um, and on workers' rights as well. They want to, I love this line, um, they're talking about fundamentally restructuring the global economy to reverse the unsustainable trend of globalization. So they are, they are, they are far out there, um, but obviously not like to get into government. The Liberal Democrats, um, they have a very watered down version of what Labour um, is aiming for. Uh, they're talking about a general duty of care by and, multinationals. And, and they're, they're, they're taking longer to get to zero net emissions, aren't yes. they? Yes. And also, I think we have to look at the fact that uh, the leader of the Liberal Democrats has voted 800 times with the Tory party and did not, did not vote for a living wage in this country. So how are we going to trust the Liberal Democrats to implement a living wage in Bangladesh? I ask you that. Anyway, over to you. It's my whistle stop. Well, kind of coming off of your point just there is the fact that it's going to be really difficult for us to care about garment workers overseas when we have places like Leicester where they are not getting minimum wage for producing garments here in the UK um, and also kind of coming off of like the Tories and the um, Environmental Audit Committee's report earlier this year that the government rejected like completely um, which is just crazy considering how um, basic those recommendations were you know there were even ones which were relating to like school curriculums and putting repair into the curriculum and that was they said there was scope and they mentioned something about geography lessons and but that's also because that ties into the stem education agenda of this government who have taken art and design out of the core curriculum in which for, for state schools so 92 percent of us are not being taught art and design in any breadth and depth so by adding repair would also underline the fact that they're, they're not willing to, uh, you know, we, if we talk about garment workers, there's a key issue around domicile talent and growing the UK business, and we can't get enough workers yet. 
let alone what we're going to have in 10 years' time if they go to a hard Brexit and you can't get the workers who are mainly coming from Eastern Europe, because that is already an issue with the, with the talent drain going, which is why we've been working around the visas and trying to get um, garment workers in this country onto the shortage occupation visa list. If the Tories go back in, that's something we're lobbying on, on with all of them. Um, we brought out an election manifesto if you want to look at Fashion Roundtable. But what of the key EAC recommendations, because I know you've written on it and like us, you've interviewed Mary Cray. Um, what did you feel would have been an easy ask apart from obviously repairing? I mean, I think learning to sew would have been a basic. Um, what else do you think that you wish um, that they picked up on? One that kind of ground my gears a bit was the fact that um, even though they made a statement saying that they agreed there should be greater transparency in the industry, um, they didn't adopt any kind of uh, recommendation around the Modern Slavery Act, yeah. which is, I mean, yeah, questionable. Um, and Asab, why do you think that is? Because I know we've both had our thoughts backstage about why they didn't pick up on that. Well, first, just to put, this, put it into perspective, the brands themselves will accept that something like 80% of all of the garment industry is susceptible to, in some form or another, modern slavery, right? So it's not like it's simply a tiny, tiny problem. Everybody recognises that when we talk about a sector globally, garment work is one of the most susceptible sectors. I think it's second most susceptible to modern, in mod, for modern slavery. And But this is really about a deregulation agenda, and you hear it so much all the way through in terms of how government responds, which is we don't want to put an undue burden on corporations. Mm -hmm. And that was the actual language they used. We don't want to put undue, undue burden. So instead of having regulatory frameworks, what we always what we see is basically voluntary guidelines. Companies should do this. It'll be nice if they do this, but if you don't do this, there is no uh, uh, punitive measures. There's nothing. They're not criminally liable for it. They can't be taken. No redress for any of the people who are being impacted. And it also sends a signal. And we just heard about Leicester. I don't know if you know. You know, in Leicester, where you know garment workers were being paid three pound fifty an hour. You know, one of the reasons why that's happening is because you know we've cut the number of health and safety inspectors. Right, the people, number of people inspectors checking factories for minimum wage is tiny compared to the number of people working to ensure people's immigration status. So we, we see far more inspectors on immigration status than we do on workers' rights. Or, and that has to change. I mean, I think uh, governments, unless they send a very powerful signal that they're taking it seriously, companies take the, me the, take the, the message. And the message is, actually, we are going for a deregulated agenda. And of, of course, the big concern is with the US and UK trade deal, it is basically a prefaced on a deregulation, deregulating of our environmental standards, workers' standards, and consumer standards, which actually threatens not just us, but then workers here, but also will have a huge impact on our relationships with other countries as well, of course, because we'll see this race to the bottom, and that's ultimately what it we're It is in. also about the sector starting to take ownership of political conversations and going beyond campaigning on Brexit or beyond going on a demo. It is also, we've got a, we had a, we had a letter on our website that's still there asking your MP to be held to account about why they didn't pick up any of the 18 EAC reports, which means that it goes up, because I've worked in Parliament I know how this works. I did casework. It's deathly boring. Mm -hmm. But it means that it goes up the political agenda. 
And what happens is that you are, it becomes therefore a part of the political conversation of any political party. If, if, a, number of M, if a number of MPs from any political party are asked a question, each of the political parties has to come up with a policy agenda around it. For instance, I don't know, I, I answered loads of letters about why wasn't there a Christmas tree in Washington one year. So we had to come up with an agenda around that. But it becomes a party political issue if it's not just a constituency issue. So the more people that write in from the sector and say, I'm not happy about this. I'm not, I'm, you know, you are going to lose my vote if, if you don't hold this government to account. I'm concerned about the loss of workers. I'm concerned about arts education education not being in our schools. I'm concerned that the factory in Leicester is not safeguarded. I'm concerned, therefore, that the businesses have got a lack of transparency. It allows for a, 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 um, an industry that is being held, is more accounted in the political conversation. And I think a lack of engagement with politics has left us basically as, oh, yes, those crazy people in the, who do fashion shows. And that's it. And we are so much more than that. I mean, hearing these conversations is inspiring for me that I'm not alone. <laughs> you know, it really is. Um, so last question, because we're rolling up very quickly, is how do I, let me see, let me have a look at this one. I've wrote it three times to try and get it right. How, as a citizen, can we make the fashion industry more ethical? Um, over to you first. I mean, I helped put together that question, but now I feel on the spot for the answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's what being on a panel does, though. Um, <laughs> I mean, you did mention briefly, like, going to, like, a protest and things like that. That's obviously is something that I do, and um, I'm part of Extinction Rebellion. Um, and I guess the term boycott comes up a lot and can seem quite extreme, um, but I see it... Um, from like a citizen perspective, I don't, we don't want to say consumer because that makes it seem like you should just use your money and that's not what we need to be doing. Um, I think a boycott is a way of kind of challenging um, your relationship with fashion. Um, and I think that can be powerful and kind of help us move towards like talking in a more political sense rather than being like, where can we shop differently? Do you want to come in on this, Tansy? I'd have a slightly different view. Because, uh, you know, when you look at Bangladesh, right? Bangladesh, you know, 80% of its, of its uh, foreign income comes from the garment industry. It's such a central part to it. So I'm not necessarily sure, and when we, we work directly with lots of garment workers unions and garment workers, that actually boycotts of the individual firms makes that much difference. Because all, I think it's much more important that we use our political power to hold those brands accountable in this country. And that requires us to organize. So it shouldn't be, uh, we did a, a thing at Extinction Rebellion recently that, you know, it's not just simply about changing our wardrobe. We have to change the world or change the system. So I, I, I'm absolutely with people making ethical decisions, but actually the most important thing is making the political decision. And that, as you said, is actually forcing both on the corporations, on exposing them, but also on government to actually regulate so that we are not faced with a choice of, is this label good on carbon, 
because some are good on carbon, some are good on sustainable, but terrible on workers' rights. Is that good on this, but exploitative on that? That actually we should be in a position where everything we consume that sits in the UK actually meets our environmental, social and labour standards, and that's got to be the goal, but without penalising people in Bangladesh in terms of leaving them without employment. And that means instead of people being paid 11 pence there, we should be demanding a living wage here. If you're a shop worker here selling these clothes, you should have a living wage. But you should also have a living wage in Bangladesh, as well as the farmer should have a living wage. And we can actually insist on that. And that's about insisting that those brands take responsibility all the way through their supply chains. Because at the moment, all they do is say, that's not our supply chain, right? That's not our factory. Because the, each factory then outsources down and down and down. And they say, we don't know anything about that. We did a check of our factory and it's all perfect. So actually we have to make them legally responsible. So I, 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 I'm with the call as to why we need to I'm make- I'm with you too. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I just feel like we, 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 we can't make ourselves feel good and think we've done a, like a good thing and then turn our back. Actually, it's got to be the trigger for more action. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tolly and I first met on a, a demonstration outside the Bangladeshi embassy, uh, which, which was called uh, by NGOs when, uh, the, when this crackdown on garment workers was happening and when um, garment workers were being shot dead in the street. So I would say, like, number one, when there are demonstrations in support of trade unions in the global south, do everything that you can to support them. You know, use your social media, get out onto the streets, be outside the embassies, be outside the shops for the big brands. You know, this stuff really counts. It really makes a difference in countries like Bangladesh when they see that there is that link of, of global solidarity. Um, but then, you know, right here, right now, register to vote and get out to vote. I truly believe that we are at a historical point where we have a chance to get rid of a government which is on the side of the corporations and get a government which is on the side of the people, not just in this country, but globally. Um, and I think that is incredibly important and shouldn't be, shouldn't be squandered. So fashion is incredibly political. It's workers' rights, it's the environment, um, it's feminism, it's everything. Uh, I mean, absolutely, as war on one, you know, we, we, for a long time we ran a campaign, you know, love fashion, hate sweatshops. And I think it's really important that we, you know, are political. You're right, because we make political interventions. Uh, I mean, in the case of Bangladesh at the moment, you know, many of these brands, whenever, you know, there's a demand of increasing living wage, all that they do is they threaten the government and say, if you regulate, we'll move to Ethiopia or we'll move to Cambodia. We'll move to somewhere else where there's deregulation. And then they force governments in those countries to basically say, we'll create enterprise zones where you don't have to pay tax, where actually the national minimum wage will no longer apply to you. And that ultimately is about corporate power. And the power sits here in the city of London. It's our, it's the companies that are, that are listed on the FTSE 100. They're the most powerful companies. We are responsible for the second biggest financial centre in the world. 22% of our GDP comes from, the, comes from the city of London. So we have immense responsibility to actually say what is the UK's footprint in the rest of the world? How do we regulate it? How do we make sure it's ethical and political? And how do we make sure that actually we have a vision that actually goes beyond in terms of just simply saying individual 
individuals who are conscious make individual decisions to actually saying, you know, we live in a society where we are doing our fair share of effort, but we live in a world where everybody has a right to a dignified life. There is enough resources in the world. What is, there, what is lacking is political will, and we have to change that political will. 100% agree with that. So... Before I close, I just want to check from the sound guy. Am I allowed to ask people questions, or is that am I out of time? We're so we're sorry. We're really over time. Okay, so I'm just going to wrap up. But if anyone's got a question, you can ask us over there after. Thank you very much to the speakers. I just want to say we actually decided at Fashion Roundtable we were going to do an election manifesto based on the needs of the sector. Have a look at it, use it, share it, ask your. Um, elected representative options, whether or not they'd like to answer some questions around it. Um, we are the secretariat for the all-party parliamentary group for textiles and fashion. We're also taking on a second, what they're called APPG as well. And we have had two meetings with um, Extinction Rebellion trying to work on solutions because the thing about the UK fashion industry is it's 59,000 and uh, SMEs, which is small to medium-sized enterprises. That could be three, one, ten people. And it, we are leading in sustainable fashion. So I think we have the problem, but we also have the solutions. We had Catherine Hamlet. Put your hand up, Catherine. She spoke at the last meeting that we had earlier this month. So we have got solutions, and I think it's just trying to drive those through to policy leaders who um, we can change or we can lobby around deregulation. But thank you very much. And I'm sure we can take a few questions over there because I know he's worried about thank time. Thank you. Thank you, Tamar. And thank you to Sam. Yes, thank you. <laughs>